But it's good to have you all here. And we've been in, we've been in the book of Daniel now for about seven weeks, right? You guys still pumped about the book of Daniel? You getting bored with it yet? It's pretty wild. I mean, last week we talked about bears and prophecy. And I'm going to tell you something. I think probably one of the most amazing prophecies to me in the Bible is in Daniel chapter 9 where we're going to be at. But you've got to wait to the end to get to the prophecy, okay? It's probably one of the most amazing prophecies that I have personally read in Scripture. We're going to get to the end. But we're in Daniel chapter 9 if you've got your Bibles. We're trying to start a big Bible movement. Like, I want, I want to see a movement of people who pack Bibles around again. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just, I, I like the Bible. We're a Bible-believing church. Can you amen me? Like, we, we believe that the Bible is what you got to stand on. It's what we believe in, right? The Bible is not God, but it is the book that teaches us the truth about God so that we can know Him and that we can live in truth in a wild world. So we're in Daniel chapter 9, but let me, give you a, uh, let me give you a little background before we get started here in Daniel chapter 9. And uh, Daniel, as you know, if you've, if, you're, if you've not been here, Daniel was in Jerusalem. He was a true worshiper of God. And as a teenager, a nation called Babylon comes into Israel, enslaves all of the people, takes them on a 700-mile journey on foot, and enslaves all of the people of Israel. And they are in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel started there as a teenager. And now he's grown up, and he's probably about 80 years old by the time you get into Daniel chapter 9. He's been there for quite a while. And here's the thing. Daniel moved and he went into exile and he went into slavery. He went into a bad place. How many of you, you ever started somewhere you felt like, man, I'm in a pretty good spot with God. And then all of a sudden it feels like you go to a place where you are broken. You're a mess. Nothing works right. Everything seems like a mess. And you're wondering, God, when are things going to change? Can I tell you that a lot of times we are looking for God to do something externally in our lives when God is trying so difficult, so hard to do something internally in our lives? See, he is sending them into exile, but not because, look, it's not about, he, it's not about where they're at in Israel. See, he would rather them worship. He would rather them be in prosperity. He would rather them experience blessing because I believe that God wants his people to prosper and God wants his people to live in blessing, but he never wants them to live in blessing at the cost of their own souls. Somebody amen me. So he allows them to go into a difficult season. He allows them to be exiled in Babylon. He allows them to enter into this 70-year tribulation period, so to speak, where things are difficult, things are very challenging for them, and, and they are pressing through. God bless these babies this morning. I'm all for them. I love them. Praise the Lord. But, but listen, they're in a very challenging situation. And what I feel as I'm studying these scriptures is that there's a lot of people listening to me this morning, and you've been in a challenging situation. And I'm telling you that God, the same way that He dealt with Israel, He's not looking to fix your externals until He fixes what's going on internally. He wants to do something inside of you before He can bring you back to the place where you see the external blessing. Because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What if we have the perfect dream job and our family's in perfect order and our marriage is just flawless and we got all the money we could ever dream of but our soul is impoverished and broken down? God in His mercy will allow us to go into, into difficult times and difficult situations so that our eyes can stay fixed on Him and the blessing will come internally, right? Now, one of, the most, one of the most favorite scriptures of most Christians is Jeremiah 29, 11, right? And, and here's, here's the thing about Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, the Bible says, well, I know the plans that I have for you, right? We, we quote that all the time and we apply it to our lives and we think about our future as young people and we think, man, God's got good plans for me. But I want you, I want you to see the context of where this scripture begins because 
God's desire is one to always restore his people. But Jeremiah 29 was actually written as Israel was being exiled into Babylon. It was actually quite possible that Daniel as a very young boy was listening to Jeremiah preach the same way you may be listening to me preach. And Jeremiah was out on the street corner, maybe in front of the temple, and he's preaching Jeremiah 29, 11. It is quite possible that Daniel as a young boy heard Jeremiah preaching Jeremiah 29 11. Because here's what he said if you go back in its context. He says in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, see they had not been sent into Babylon yet, but he was prophesying that it was going to happen. And all the false prophets were saying, no nah, man, y'all ain't going to go into Babylon. God wants to bless you. God wants to just uh, to take care of you. But the problem was, is he could not bless them because their eyes were focused on other things. They had rebelled against God. They had moved away from God. And so God had to bring a judgment upon them, not to hurt them. Let me tell you something. Even when God brings judgment, even when it seems like bad things are happening, even when it seems like God may be angry, I promise you it is always for your good and for your ultimate redemption. He will not leave His people. He does have plans for His people. And even when you go through difficult seasons, God is trying to work good out of it. And the enemy will make it look like, see, God hates you. God's rejected you. God doesn't love you. God doesn't want good for you. But the scripture even says that what the enemy means for evil, God meant for good. And right now in our nation, I believe that what the enemy means to bring evil, God is working out together for good. I've seen people's hearts transformed just in the last six months during all this COVID crisis. I've seen people's hearts awaken to God because what the enemy is meaning for evil, God is turning for good. But he says, this is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Verse 11, everybody's favorite verse, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. So in its context, Jeremiah is speaking to a people who are about to go through the most difficult time of their life. And if you're in Daniel's situation, the promise is not even that good because he's talking about 70 years. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine getting a word from the Lord? Coming to church this morning and somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, I got a word from the Lord, you teenagers. 70 years you're going to be in captivity and enslaved. That's your entire life. Somebody amen me. That's not a great word. And, and Daniel would read that word and he'd be like, boys, that's, God, I see you got plans. That doesn't sound like a good one. Somebody amen me, right? That's not the best plan I've ever heard, Lord. So we quote this verse, but in its context, man, you're talking about some difficult things. You're talking about some challenges. But see, God still has plans for his people. And see, what we find out about Daniel is he's willing to do whatever because here's the thing that we've been talking about through the book of Daniel is you may not get to live the life that you want, but you can always live the life that God wants. That's what it means to deny yourself to take up your cross and follow Jesus and say, you know what, maybe I won't get the perfect life that I want, but it doesn't matter if I, if I don't get the life that I want because I have surrendered my life to Jesus and I will live the life that God wants. And even if it seems like blessing is taken, I'm going to figure out how to be a blessing to people in the midst of my darkness. And I'm going to focus on other people. And that's what Daniel comes to. And see... You may be looking for God to do an outer work, just like we said, but He is looking to do an inner work. 
And at the end of this 70 year period in the book of Daniel, when God wants to do an inner work and you see the title of my message this morning is the power of Bible study. I thought, man, that's the most boring message title ever. They're going to be like, my God, the power of Bible study. Is that the best you can come up with, Pastor Clay? I mean, nobody enjoys Bible study, right? I mean, because, because I mean, people, you know, when we come into church on Sunday, this is why I preach a lot of Bible, because I believe in the power of the word of God. My life was transformed when I started reading the Bible and taking it seriously. And when I didn't have the Bible in my life, my life was de-transformed, so to speak. And the Scripture is what we come to as the people of God, that we believe that it's incorruptible seed, that it causes us to be born again. We're born of incorruptible seed, the Bible says. And the Word of God can get in our heart and literally bring transformation if we will hang on to it, study it, and believe it. And see, Daniel begins at the place of Bible study. So if I'm going to ask you a question right here, I just ask you, like, how's your Bible study right now in your life? How's your Bible study, right? You don't have to answer me, but I want you to consider that. How is your life in the Word and in the Scriptures? you got to ask yourself that question sometimes because it is a foundational piece that cannot be overlooked for the Christian life. And Christians throughout history, you know why they remain strong? Because they had the Word of God. Daniel remained strong in Babylon. Why? Because he had the Word of God. And you need to understand that Daniel had far less Word of God than you had. We got the full revelation of the New Testament. Daniel had just a little bit, just a a chunk of the Old Covenant, and he was currently writing some of the Old Testament. But he had enough to hang on to, to stand in the midst of difficult times, and he stayed in the Word of God. Now here's what it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. He started with Bible study. He says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures. Notice, he's reading the Bible. According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in, and in ashes. So he's actually saying, boys, I was doing a Bible study. I opened the scriptures. I opened the scroll probably. He didn't have a printed Bible like we did. But he had a scroll of Jeremiah where the prophecies of Jeremiah had been written. And it's most likely that he opened it to what we would consider Jeremiah 25 or chapter 29. And he's reading it. He's reading your favorite Bible verse. I got, I got a thing in my room that says Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, right? He was reading that same verse that we love. And he has a revelation as he's reading the Bible because when you read the Bible, you're going to have an understanding. Understand it. Some people say, well, you know, when I read the Bible, it just don't make sense to me. I don't get anything out of it. I don't understand it. When you come with a pure heart, you were made to understand the Bible. Because it was written by God and you were made by God. And He's designed you so that the Word of God would be in your heart. And He can grant you understanding, but you have to have a heart for it. You have to come with a willingness and say, God, I want to come into the Scriptures and I want to gain an understanding. And as he's reading, his understanding is open and he sees this. And so the first thing I want to say to you is that if you want a word from God, you need to get into the Word of God. Now, some of us as charismatic believers, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We're like, boys, I just wish somebody would give me a word from the Lord. I'll give you a word from the Lord. Get into the Bible. Get into the Bible. I thank God when somebody feels like they've got an impression from the Holy Spirit and they can give me a word. I've gotten words in my life that have been powerful, that have been transformative, that have encouraged me, that have strengthened me. Thank God for all of that. But nothing compares 
to the Scripture. And sometimes in the world we live in, you can get out in left field and some big goofy person can give you some kind of crazy word from the Lord. And if it does not line up with Scripture, if you don't know the Scripture, you can be led astray. That's why you have to put the Word of God as foundational in your life. Because if you want a word from the Lord, start with the Bible. Start with the Word of God. And as you get into it, yeah, some of it may not make sense. Some of it you're not going to understand all the time. But read it. Write things down. Begin to study it. Ask questions. Go to people that you can study it with. Because here's the thing. God knows everything in perfect detail. And He wants to speak to you about your life. And the primary way that He's going to speak to you is through your Bible study. Somebody amen me this morning, right? I know that's not like a jump off the wall kind of a sermon. Somebody just didn't take off shouting up the aisle. Praise God, Bible study, huh? Bless the Lord. But, but I'm telling you, folks, if we get away from that, we've gotten away from the thing that we're going to be strengthened by in the last days. And we've got to be in the Word of God. So he studies this and he reads that 70 years and he realizes, boys, I've been here just about 70 years. Because when you read the Bible, you start to realize things. He says there's a prophecy written right here by Jeremiah that says at the end of 70 years, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. He said, I've been here about that long. But he realizes something. And I love this about Daniel because as he's reading the Bible, he gets a promise from God, but he does not relax. He could have easily looked at the promise from God and said, you know what? At the end of 70 years, it's been prophesied we're going back to Jerusalem. I'm going to sit back on the couch, I'm going to watch some TV, and I'm going to eat tater chips and let God do His work. No, that is not what he does. He looks at the condition of the people, and he sees the promise of God, and he realizes the people are not ready to go back. Their hearts are not ready to worship God. They're not ready to go back to the temple. They're not ready ready to worship. They're not ready to rebuild. Their hearts are not ready. So what does he do? He begins to pray. He begins to fast and he gets in sackcloth. Amen. How many of y'all this week when we prayed and fast, you put sackcloth on anybody? Nobody. Nobody did the sackcloth. See in the Old Testament, when they would pray and fast, they would put sackcloth on just because it was so uncomfortable. You know something that's uncomfortable? Not eating. Anybody amen me? Right. In America, we made to eat. Like we just, uh, we, we developed the, the all-you-can-eat buffet. Anybody who knows me, like I'll, I'll not eat all day just so I can gorge at night. You know what I'm talking about? Just you cook me like three steaks and I just, I'll eat all three of them. We, we have a cookout sometimes over at the house and, and I'll say I'm a two-burger, two-dog kind of guy. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I like to eat two of each. I mean, that's just the reality. We like to eat, amen. But see, sometimes there are, there's a point in our lives when we have to be willing to see the promises of God and not just get lazy, but see the promises of God and say, man, this is not coming to pass right now, God. I see what your word is. I see what you want to do. But I need to come into agreement with you on this. And sometimes I've got to set aside food so that I can disconnect from this world. I can disconnect from my physical enslavements to the world. And I can give my devotion to prayer and to the stuff of God's Word so that I can receive a fresh revelation from God and a sharpened edge on my sword, so to speak, so that I can know what God wants to do in my life in this hour. And Daniel begins to pray. Daniel begins to fast. He begins to seek God. He realizes they're not ready, but he begins with this promise and this invitation. And here's what I want you to understand, what, what Daniel teaches us when it comes to Bible study. When it comes to Bible study, number one, even those who write the Scripture need to study Scripture. Yeah, Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, the majority of it, most scholars would say, maybe all of it. And he wrote it in a couple of different languages, right? Aramaic and Hebrew. It's the only, only Bible that has some, only part of the Bible that has a lot, of, lot more Aramaic in it than, than usual. 
But he wrote that, right, because that was the language, and he knew a couple of different languages. He knew, knew the language of the Chaldees and these folks, so he's writing that. But see, the point is, is that even those who write the Scripture need to study the Scripture. Daniel was a godly man. Daniel prayed three times a day. He read the Bible. He had angels appear to him, folks. Like, this guy was a godly man in a wicked world. If there's anybody that lived that could have said, you know what, I'm doing pretty good on my own. I don't really need that much Bible reading. Matter of fact, I read the Bible growing up. I've got it covered. I don't need much Bible reading. But see, even Daniel, even Daniel knew and understood that if he was going to, to maintain in a wicked society his relationship with God, he had to be a student of the Word of God, even though he was a writer of the Word of God. Amen. Now, I want you to understand something about the Bible. Is the Bible is dual authorship because he said that this he was reading from the words of Jeremiah but it was the word of the Lord to Jeremiah what does that mean about the Bible that means that the scripture the Bible has been written by human beings but God breathed upon each and every one of those human beings so we believe that the Bible is a divine book it's not a book that just a bunch of dudes got together at different times and read but it is a book that God the Holy Spirit moved on each of these men throughout history so that they could write something that was coherent and ultimately it was authored by the divine and that's the reason why you can't say well we we believe what Jesus says, but we don't believe what Paul says. No, we believe what every single one of them said from the front to the back because ultimately the Holy Spirit is the author of that book. Amen. Amen. So it's a dual authorship. But here's the second thing when it comes to Bible study is that there is new revelation in old scriptures. What that mean? How many of you, I know there's people in here because you get that sometimes. I've heard people say, well, you know, I've already read that. How many of you, you don't go back into the book of Daniel sometimes because you already read it? Bless God. I'm going to call some people out this morning, right? Amen. I already know that, brother. I read that three or four years ago in my Bible study. Uh, here's the thing. The Bible, even though I've read through it, right? Every single time I go back to old scriptures, I get new revelation. And layer upon layer, layer begins to unfold to me. And the old scriptures that I read, Daniel's already read the book of Jeremiah. He's all, he already knows what it says, but all of a sudden this day that he reads it, because he's in his devotions to God, something new comes alive to him like never before. And I promise you, when you crack open the book and you get into the Bible, God is going to show you new revelation from things that you have already read. Things that you already knew. Why? Because the Bible says about the Bible, the Word of God is living, it's alive, and it is active. Right? And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the spirit and the soul and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That means that it's not just a book that you read, but it is a book that reads you. And when you open it up, it is going to reveal the condition of your heart, your motives, your desires, and all of these things. And you're going to have a living experience with a living book. When something is alive and active, you learn more and more about it. And the more that you get into the Bible, the more you are going to have a revelation of who God is. You're going to know God more and more in your life. The more that you open the Scriptures, the more that you get into them. The Bible is not God. Somebody amen me. The Bible is not God, but it is the book that has been given to us by God so that we can know God. It leads us into His presence. It's a gift from heaven. And Jesus held the Scriptures on one of the highest standards. He said, I put my word above my name. In other words, he's saying, if you want to know my character, you want to know my nature, you want to know who I am, it is in my word. I will reveal myself to you through my word. And when Jesus came, the Bible says about itself that the word was eternally existent with God the Father and God the Spirit, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Right? This is the word of God given to us. The scriptures, we have to have it. And I'm telling you, right now we live in a world that is trying to devalue the word of God more and more and more. And even in the church world, we're trying to, we're trying to make it palatable for people. I get it. There are some very challenging passages in scripture but here's here's the thing we don't need to back away from challenging passages of scripture we need to learn them and figure out how to rightly interpret them and understand what God is saying through them because there is not one thing written from the front to the back that ultimately God is not going to use to point you to Jesus that is why the scripture has been given to us to point us to Jesus and to reveal it reveal him to us so number three in Bible study you got to mix Bible reading with prayer and that's what that's what Daniel does see when you go to the Bible he reads the Bible he has a revelation and what does it do it propels him into prayer some people will say well I, I just don't know how to pray let it start with Bible study as you're reading the scripture as you're getting in there and you're unpacking some things in the Bible it is going to be a, like a conversation that starts with God God's going to speak to you through his word you're going to find out that, man, God, is he's faithful and just to forgive. Well, you know what, Lord? There's some things in my life right now that I'm not too proud of. I, I see that you're forgiving and that you're faithful and just to forgive me if I confess my sins. And so, so Lord, I confess these to you right now. And, you, and it begins to be a conversation. And here's the thing. Some people will say, you'll sit in these seats and you'll say, Clay, that's easy. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that you should read the Bible and then that you should pray in return. Yeah, but it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it. And that's why I'm breaking it down and making it very simple this morning because it's not about knowing it. It's not about showing up to church on Sunday and saying amen to me when I say it. It's about going home tonight and tomorrow and cracking open the book and reading it and letting it cut your heart right down into the bone to the marrow and beginning to discern the thoughts and the intents of your heart to begin to teach you who God is, what He's about, to give you a hunger for His Word. And then all of a sudden you're moved in your heart the same way that Daniel is and you're saying, God, you have promises here that is not lining up with my life, that's not lining up with the church, that's not lining up with our community and so I'm going to begin to pray I'm going to fast if I have to I'm going to seek your face to see you move in our midst amen and so we need this we need by how many of you maybe you had somebody in your life when I was growing up when I was growing up now now for those of y'all don't know me I was talking to some dudes last night about some things I did in my teenage years I was a hoodlum all right I did some pretty messed up stuff growing up but one of the things that, that, that changed me and shaped me and rooted me, when I grew up, I had a babysitter named, named Gert, and, uh, and, and of course, she had a daughter named Anna Lee. Now, Gert was a black woman who was born in 1912. This woman had seen some stuff, and I spent a lot of my time, my dad actually was raised with her too, and I mean, she loved us, we loved her, we had such a good relationship with her, but I loved Gert so much that almost probably 50% of the mornings, Kids don't get any, any things from this, but almost 50% of the mornings that I woke up in the morning, right, I would fake a stomach, say, oh, mom, I'm sick. You know what I'm saying? Anybody amen me, right? Little kids, like, yeah, I try that when I did that once. I did that all the time. So I would get dropped off. My mom would be going to work. I'd get dropped off at Gertz, and I knew what was coming, son. I was, I, at, at six years old, I was going to get bacon, and I was going to get coffee. I mean, I've been drinking coffee since I was about five, y'all. I mean, that's just how it works. But I wanted my coffee with lots of cream and lots of sugar when I was a little boy, and Gert would make it for me, and we drank it out of the saucer. You know what I'm talking about? she put it in a cup, and you tip it over, and it'd be in. I'd watch her do it, and so I'd do it too. And I'd dump a little bit in the saucer. We'd drink it out of the saucer. Y'all ever drink coffee out of the saucer? That's how we did it back then. And so I had, this, I had bacon and coffee. But while I ate my bacon and coffee, I was very quiet. You know why? 
because Gerd had her Bible open at the kitchen table and she was reading. And she would mutter that Bible. She would read for 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes sometimes. And she'd read through the Scriptures and she'd read through the Bible and she'd have a little devotional, a little upper room devotional. And she would get done reading after about 20 minutes and I'd just be eating my bacon, sipping my coffee, watching her. And then she would go into prayer and she would just close her eyes and she would start whispering prayers out to God. And I, had, in my, I was six, seven, eight years old. I didn't know what was going on. But there was an overwhelming peace. That's why I love being there. There was an overwhelming peace. And sometimes I'd just go to sleep laying on Gert. You know what I'm saying? Because, because I, I watched that and I can remember that having an impact, a profound impact on my life. Because every single day of her life, she was up in the morning ready and she was in the Word of God and she was in prayer interceding for people. And she was praying, she was believing God. And I watched her pass away. I can't remember, maybe it was about 2010, I think. But I'd just become a Christian, and, and, and she was on her deathbed. She looked me in the eyes. She said, she said, there's no turning back now, is there, little Clay? There's no turning back now. And I'm telling you, folks, Bible study and prayer, let it be in your life. Let it be the breath that you breathe. Let it impact generations. Because Daniel, see, he tells you this, he, he's telling you about his Bible study as an 80-year-old man. And he's telling you about his prayer life. And he's letting you know what he prayed. Can you imagine? This week we've been praying and fasting. We wrote down all kinds of requests. And just this week we have literally seen answered prayers during the week. There was a, there was a boy that had had a wreck. And, and, and some I can't remember the exact details. But there was a boy that had had a wreck. And they thought he had broken his neck. And they had sent him in. We prayed for him. Guess what? Next day, good report. Perfectly fine. He was good. So I, you say, well, oh, did, was that God or was that a coincidence? I don't know. All I know is we prayed for it and God came through. That's what I'm going to believe. Because when we pray, things happen. We saw answered prayers that we had written down this week that God moved in. You need to learn how to write your prayers down just like Daniel did. This is what I'm praying. This is what I'm believing God for. So that when it comes through, you can show your children and your grandchildren and say, this is how we live. We believed in God. We studied the scriptures. We got up in the morning and we prayed. And it became a part of our routine and it impacts the next generation and the generation after. And in Daniel chapter 9, see, once he reads scripture, he goes into a long confession. Now, y'all ready to read a lot of Bible? This is a lot of verses right here. Let's read this together. He says in verse 3, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth, and ashes. See, when you get a word from God, you've got to turn to the Lord. He said, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. Man, that's a thing that people don't say anymore, isn't it? We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against Him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws He gave us through His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. 
Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. How relevant is this for this time in our nation? He's sitting here praying, this disaster has come upon us because we've, re- we've not listened to God. We've rebelled against God. We've not listened to Him. And this disaster is coming upon us and we still haven't turned back to the Lord. We still haven't listened and obeyed. And he's, he's praying this, this exact prayer. He says, The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything He does, yet we have not obeyed Him. Now, Lord our God, who brought Your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for Yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all Your righteous acts, turn away Your anger and Your wrath from Jerusalem, Your city, Your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and Your people an object of scorn to all of those around us. Now, our God, Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because of our righteous, because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. I'm telling you, if you don't know how to pray, this is a good prayer to go to in the Bible and begin to pray out. Somebody said, well, I don't know how to pray. You need to read the Psalms. You need to find the prayers in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you need to begin to read them out unto the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will begin to teach you how to pray. But see, He is moved by the Word of the Lord. And He understands something. He He begins to realize what's going on. But before I break down this prayer, I want to give you three things significant to Daniel's character and consistency. How has he remained so consistent for 80 years in one of the most wicked places in the world? Number one, he surrounded himself with godly friends. And I'm trying to be as simple as I can this morning. He surrounded himself with godly friends. Your life is ultimately going to be a product of the people you surround yourself with. The people at your workplace, the people, and I know sometimes you just got to be a light and work and deal with some dudes. You know what I'm saying? I know how it is. It's rough sometimes. Like you get around some weirdos, maybe even in a church house, right? Amen. How many of y'all know when you go to church, you got to deal with difficult people too? Amen. We're a family. We learn to love one another. We learn to forgive one another, right? But your life is ultimately a reflection of the people you surround yourself with. And sometimes when it comes to the Christian life, you have to fight to be in connection and in relationship. And you've got to sacrifice to connect with the people of God and make sure that you're developing healthy, godly relationships with somebody that's going to hold you accountable, with somebody that's going to speak the Word of God into your life. Because you know what? In our world, you can find anybody who will come into agreement with with the ways that are not the ways of God and say, yeah, you ought to do that. And we see that all the time. But secondly, he was committed to the study of Scripture, just like we said. He realized that if he was going to stay strong in a world where there were lies everywhere, and right now we live in a world where there are lies everywhere, and the only way you're going to stay grounded in truth is if you are committed to the study of Scripture. And thirdly, he lived a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Three times a day, Daniel prayed, and he understood that sometimes, look, what the book of Daniel teaches us about prayer and fasting, y'all heard about the Daniel fast, right? It's because the dude fasted for 21 days. And in the next chapter, what you're going to find out is that every time he prayed and fasted, he was engaging in spiritual warfare because there is an unseen realm 
There's a realm that we don't fully see. And when you begin to pray, you may feel like nothing is going on in the seen realm, but in the unseen realm, things are moving. When Jesus is talking about those mountains being removed, He's not necessarily talking about a physical mountain that you see with your eye. He is talking about supernatural entities and things being moved and shaped in the unseen realm. This is why we can sing, God. Sing, even when we don't see it, God, you are working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. Why? Because our prayers enter into the unseen realm. And when we pray and we fast consistently, things are moving, things are changing, and God is working on our behalf. You know what this is called? It's called faith. We don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. And every time you pray to God, believing that He's going to move on your behalf, it is an act of faith. And this is how Daniel lived. And this is why he had great character and he had great consistency. And here's the thing. We don't need to... Look, God doesn't need us to pray. We need to pray because we need God. We need to pray because we need God and it is the mode of communication that He has given us. And while Daniel is praying... He speaks about a couple of things. He speaks about bad news and good news because Christianity is ultimately about two things. It's about bad news and good news. The whole Bible is about bad news and good news. The bad news is who you and I are. The good news is who God is. The bad news is is that I am a sinner. I am broken. I have no desire for God. I don't want to be with God in my natural state that I am bent towards sin. I'm inclined towards sin. Yeah, there's still a little bit of the image of God in me. There's still some good in me. You may see some good in a person that doesn't know Jesus, but ultimately, we don't love God. We don't know God, but God in His love for us has said, I don't want you to live in that state. I don't want you to be broken. I don't want you to be bound to sin. And He sent Jesus Christ to die in our place on the cross so that we could be reconciled. Listen, God demands perfection because He's a holy God. And not one person was able to keep all of the law. But guess what? Jesus Christ came and He kept the law completely for you. But yet He went to the cross and died on the cross as if He had broken every single law. And He took the punishment in your place so that you could have it. See, the bad news is is that we're in bad shape. But the good news is is that God wants to heal us and God wants to restore us. And this is what Daniel is praying. This is why he's praying a prayer of confession. And notice what Daniel says. He says we. He uses the language of we. Now, here's what a lot of Christians will do. This is the difference between between religious people and repentant people. Y'all realize there's a difference in the Christian life. There's a difference between religious people and repentant people. Amen. These babies, it's coming right out of them. I bless you babies. I love you. Andrea gets mad at me when I talk about the babies, but sometimes I get distracted, so I don't know what else to do, and I just speak about it. <laughs> but, we, but I want you to know I love your babies, and I'm glad they're here with us this morning. Amen? I really am. But there is a difference between religious people and repentant people. There is a difference. And what happens is religious people pray about other people's sins, but repentant people pray about their sins. And when Daniel prays, he could have easily said, he could have easily said, you know what, Lord? These people are in bad shape. They're wicked. You need to bless them. If they could just be more like me, we wouldn't be in the shape that we're in. He could have prayed that, but instead he prays, you know what, Lord? We have sinned against you. We've not listened to the prophets. We've not listened to these people. Why? Because he has humility. And in the Christian life, I promise you, there's always something that can change. There's always something that we can do better in because we're striving to be more like Jesus. And it takes humility to have a repentant heart and be willing to come to God and say, God, I've sinned against you. Because when we pray for our nation, we're not just praying for the sinners outside of this building. We're praying for the sinner right here in this body. Amen. 
And we're willing to come and we're willing to confess and say, Lord, we need help. But see, here's what we do with our sin. I want to give you a process that we do with our sin a lot of times when we deal with it. Number one, what we tend to do with our sin is we tend to deny it. We tend to just say, nah, that wasn't really what I meant to do, and I didn't do that anyway. That's not true. We deny it. And then if, if we move on, and if we, if we can't deny it well enough, then we just try to hide it, and we live a double life. This is why I love being a pastor, because you get, what, you get some people, they'll say one thing around somebody else, but around a pastor, they'll say something completely different. Amen? Why? Because you're trying to hide some things, right? So if we can't deny it well enough, we will try to hide it. And if we can't hide it well enough, well, then we start to make excuses. Well, I was just tired. I was just aggravated. I was just struggling. And then if our excuses don't hold up, we begin to blame others. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you'd been giving me the attention that I needed. If you've been taking care of me the way that you need it, well, then we start to blame others. But then, if we can't blame others well enough, we start to normalize our sin. We say, well, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing this. This is a common thing. It's a common practice. Everybody's doing it. We normalize it. And then finally, once it becomes normal, we just celebrate it. So, and that's what we do in the world today. We celebrate sin. Some of the raunchiest, nastiest stuff I've ever heard in my life in music. I was listening to a song the other day, and I had to repent after listening to it. But it, not long ago, it was number one on the Billboard charts, and son, everybody tick-tocking the fire out of it. It says some of the most ungodly things. You, you know what we do to that? We celebrate it. We put it at our top of our list in our nation. Nobody amen to me this morning on that one, all right? But we deny it. We hide it. We teach our young girls how to get naked and take snapshots and send them to people, and we celebrate that. We, we, we celebrate and exalt strippers and people like this in our world. This is what we do. And we just act like it's normal, and we laugh about it. And we laugh about it until we normalize it and we celebrate it. Can I tell you what's normal, folks? Normal is not that when you're a teenager, well, everybody gets drunk, everybody gets high, everybody has sex outside of marriage. That's not normal. That's not normal. The Word of God is normal, and what you've got to understand is you live in an abnormal world. You live in a world that is not normal. You live in a world that is run by the evil spirits of this world, and they are leading you astray, and you say, but everybody's doing it. It's normal. It's what everybody does. No, the Word of God remains normal, and you live in an abnormal world that is broken. And what God calls us to is an acknowledging of our sin. See, Daniel doesn't hide his sin. He doesn't deny it. He's probably one of the most righteous dudes in that place. But rather than pointing his finger at the rest of everybody else, he says, you know what? First and foremost, I'm not going to deal with everybody else's sins. I'm going to deal with my sins. And if I'm going to jump in with you, I'm going to pray on your behalf. Because some people, I know that they're in bad shape. But you know what? When I go to God, I'm going to say, God, we have sinned against you. I'm standing in the gap on behalf of so-and-so. And all of us, we have sinned against you, Lord. We have fallen short. We've rebelled against you. We've turned from you, Lord. And we've adopted mentalities and mindsets that are totally against the Word of God. And Lord, we need to deal with our sin. Right now, we live in a world where everybody's just saying, you know what? Just believe in Jesus Jesus calls us to a place of repentance. He says you've got to acknowledge your sin. You have to deal with it. You have to work through it. And some of the great... I want you to listen to me right now. Because I know maybe this is a little bit of a dry sermon, but here's the thing. I want you to listen to me. Because the greatest miracles I have ever seen God do are always at the point when a person is finally broken and repentant and have humbled themselves and are willing to confess their sin and lay it down. This is why the Bible teaches to confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I've seen people healed physically when they're willing to confess sin and repent publicly. 
Why? I don't know. It's just what the Bible teaches. It teaches that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And confession sometimes is the most powerful thing you can do. And some of you are Christians and you have never confessed your sins to God. Amen? I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be harsh this morning. I'm trying to bring you into a place of freedom. It was when I was finally willing to acknowledge, God, this is sin. And I cannot live like this anymore. And I'm ready to repent and I confess it to you. You know what happened to me whenever I was finally willing to bring that stuff into the light? I felt the cleansing flow of Jesus' blood washing me and saving me and His love being poured out on me because I was willing to finally say, God, I'm broken. I don't have strength to overcome this sin. But I don't want it in my life anymore. I confess it and I'm going to forsake it. I need your strength. I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. And at that point of brokenness is where everything changed where transformation took place, where God began to move in my life, we can no longer try to hide and brush sin under the rug. We've got to say, Lord, we confess it. We're broken. We need your help. We need healing in our land. We need healing in our church. We need healing in our hearts. There's got to be a brokenness and a humility in our hearts where we can come to God. And Daniel deals with this sin. He confesses. And see, two of the most important things you're ever going to learn in this life is who you are and who God is. And we are broken and we are sinners. And listen, we are deserving of punishment. We, that, and that's a, that's a bad story. But here's the other thing that comes into alignment with that that makes it the best story in the world is that God is more loving and compassionate and merciful and gracious than you can ever imagine. See, we were in sin and that was a big deal to Him. That is why the cross is so horrific. That is why you see Jesus marred and bloodied and broken and whipped in His back. Why? Because of your sin, because of our sin. I was, reading, I was reading the Jesus Storybook Bible. We're talking about Bible study. And in the very beginning, anybody know about the Jesus Storybook Bible? I recommend you buy it, right? Richard Jones, he bought it for his little girl. He's been reading it to Junie. We got it at our house for when our little baby comes. And sometimes I'll sit and I'll read through that little thing. But in the beginning, when all of the world sinned and rebelled against God, at the end of it, here's, here's what it says. It says, after they had sinned, after they had rebelled against God, he says, you see, no matter what... In spite of everything, God would love His children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And though they would forget Him and run from Him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss Him always and long for Him. Lost children learning for their home, longing for their home. And here's what I want you to understand. Is that God's attitude towards you doesn't change based on your performance. I need y'all to hear, hear me again on that because... God's attitude towards you doesn't change based on your performance. If you are, and it is hard to learn. You know why it's hard to learn? Because people's attitude change, change toward me based on my performance. When I'm a good pastor, everybody celebrates me and pats me on the back. When I'm not a good pastor, everybody's like, boy, that guy ain't worth much. People's attitude will change towards you based on your performance. But when you're a child of God, God's attitude towards you will not change based on your performance. When you run away, when you're angry, when you don't understand, when you're messed up, when you have fallen, when you have failed, God's love for, toward you is never failing, unending, chasing you down, pursuing you because He loves you and you are the apple of His eye. You are the apple of His eye. And you need to understand... You need to understand that sin is a bad thing and God calls us to repentance and it is what and we need to come to a place of brokenness and confession but when we do what happens is we finally come into a realization of how much God loves us and how much he has been willing to pursue us in Jesus Christ. That is the reality that we have in Christ but can you imagine 
Can you imagine Daniel being your intercessor? Y'all got somebody in your life you feel like you just say, you know what? I got that person. I'm glad they pray for me. Don't you wish Daniel could pray for you? Don't you wish you had Daniel in your corner praying for you? I'm going to tell you something. You got a better one than Daniel. Daniel chooses to stand in and intercede on behalf of the people. But do you know that you have Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father interceding for you day and night? And He is lifting your prayers up. This is why when we pray in Jesus' name, our prayers go to Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father. He takes all of your fear, all of your need, every worry that you have, and He picks out the stuff that doesn't need to be there. That's why even when you pray wrong, guess what? Jesus receives it, refines it, and presents it to the Father. And He says, Father, I have a, I have a brother, I have a sister that's in need right right now and I've died for them and you love them and they failed but see Jesus Christ is interceding for you day and night on behalf and see this is a picture of Christ where Daniel is praying and here's what it says in verse 21 it says now while I was speaking praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of, of my God yes while I was speaking in prayer the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when you begin to pray and when you begin to confess and when you begin to seek God, you are engaging in the unseen realm. Daniel prays and has breakthrough to the point that an angel comes to visit him and bring revelation. He said, when you first started to pray, we received the word and things were being moved on your behalf and an angel of the Lord shows up. See, because when you pray, like I said, you are engaging in things that you don't even fully realize. When you seek God, you are entering into supernatural, spiritual warfare, and God is willing to send angels, if He has to, to be dispatched to minister to you and for you and on your behalf. But even if He doesn't send an angel, do you know that God has sent the Holy Spirit to us, the Helper, to come, and He said that He would teach us all things, that He would lead us and guide us into all truth? And do you know the first lesson that the Holy Spirit is going to teach you when you begin to pray? Just what He says to Daniel, that you are greatly beloved that you're loved by God more than you could ever imagine. And when you enter into this relationship with Him, you're going to experience that love from God. Now I'm going to get to the last part. Now this is that prophecy, right, that we're at. So Daniel is, he's in a Bible study. His heart is moved. He begins to intercede. He begins to confess on behalf of the people. And this is what God is calling us to, to get into the Scripture, to open it up, to begin to confess our sin, to begin to come and pray on behalf of the Lamb, on behalf of the people and say, Lord, forgive us. We want to experience your love. We want to know you once again. We want to experience your spirit. But then all of a sudden a revelation comes to him. And this is one of the most amazing revelations in the Bible, I believe. In Daniel 9, 24, he says, this is what the angel says to him. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. So how many of you said, I know exactly what that's talking about. Clay, you've been dealing with easy stuff. 
I want you to understand what he's saying here. He gives us two things. I want you to put that slide up. Now, I made this to try to make sense of it. That next one where it says 69 weeks. I want to try to make sense of this prophecy because he gives Daniel a prophecy. And he says, Daniel, from the time that there's a commandment to restore Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah, the King. And he uses a very specific word there. It says the ruler in one place. He says, until the coming of the Messiah, the king, he says there'll be seven weeks or seven seven seven-year periods. And then there'll be 62 weeks. Now, what's 62 plus seven, anybody? 69, right? Easy math. So he says there'll be 69 seven-year periods. So if you take 69, you multiply that by seven, And back then they used the Hebrew calendar. We used 365 days in a year. They used 360 days in a year. He says if you take it to that time, you got 173,880 days. Now this is amazing. The commandment to restore Jerusalem was in Nehemiah chapter 2 by a dude named Artaxerxes Longimanus on March 14th, 445 B.C. historically, okay? You add that up, you go this amount of days exactly to the day that Gabriel told Daniel it would happen. Exactly to the day was April 6th, 32 AD. And this was the day. Now this is so interesting because Jesus, they tried to make him king over and over and over again. And what would he say? He'd say, no, I don't want to. He would would slip out of the crowd. He would run away. But then there was one day right at the end of his death, toward, toward his death, when all of a sudden he said, boys, I want you to go get me a donkey, a donkey's colt. And he rode from Bethany, he rode down the Mount of Olives, and he rode into Jerusalem on this donkey's coat. He was was fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, which says, Your prince shall come riding on a donkey's coat. He did it intentionally, and he comes in on one of the most, the greatest festivals. We call it now Palm Sunday on his triumphal entry. And he rides that donkey's coat in on this very day, April 6, 32 A.D., and they all knelt down and put palms at his feet, and they said, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was the day. What was Gabriel's margin for error on that prophecy? Zero. He nailed it to the day before it happened that King Jesus would ride in and they would declare him to be the king. And all the Pharisees said, hey, hey, Jesus, you need to rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they knew They believed, they knew the prophecy. They knew that if they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're actually referring to Psalm 118. You know, in that same psalm it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We say that as if it was talking about every day of the year, but it was talking about one specific day. It was this day when they declared Jesus to be king that was prophesied about in Daniel that he would come in and he would set up his rule and his reign. But what does the scripture say? It said, and this Messiah, the king, he will be cut off but not for himself. He was not cut off for himself. He was cut off for you and he was cut off for me. This king was not a king like they wanted. They wanted a king that would establish rule and reign over the Roman Empire and set up an everlasting king. But this was a king that wanted to do an internal work before he did an external work. This king will come back and he will do an external work. 
He will renew the face of the earth. There will be no more crying, no more weeping, no more sorrow, no more tears. Everybody that has died and went on before us, they're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to be reunited to our loved ones. Everything is going to be set right and put in order. But right now, God is looking to do an internal work and He's calling all who will believe to turn, to confess their sin, to lay down their lives and say, Jesus, I want to live for you. I believe that just as the Bible prophesied to the day that you were going to come in your first coming, we believe that the prophet the the Bible prophesies that you're coming back again riding on the clouds and you're going to bring righteousness and justice and you're going to restore the face of the earth and those who are in the grave will be raised up and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air, Lord, to meet you. And you're going to establish your kingdom and your reign here on earth. This is what Scripture teaches. This is what we believe, folks. So right where you're at, I want you to pray right now. I want you to just bow your head and let's just take a moment. Lord, We believe in your word and we thank you for the truth of your word. It's amazing, God, what you have hidden in that word. And Lord, the truth that you reveal to us each and every time that we open that book. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word like we've never had. I pray that you would give us a desire to pray, to fast if necessary, God, to seek your face. And Lord, right now we just confess our sin to you. You know, we don't believe that you got to confess your sin every single time that you sin. That could, be a, that could be a laborious task that is immeasurable because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But when the Holy Spirit puts things and puts His finger on things in our lives, let me tell you something, it's just His mercy. It's just Him saying, you need to deal with this right now. This thing that you've, that you've gotten lost in, this thing that has gotten attached to your life, this anger, this hatred, this lust, this fear, Would you just confess that to me? Would you give it to me? Because I want to set you free from that oppression. I want to set you free from that bondage. And I'm telling you, folks, when we confess, there's just like that, that blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross of Calvary. It just begins to flow like a pure flood. And it washes us and cleanses us from all of our guilt and from all of our shame. And we can have peace and we can find safety in Him. And so, Lord, right now we just confess our sins to you. And if you're here this morning, I just want you as an act of faith, if you say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I'm ready to take that step boldly. I want you to lift your hand right now. I want you to just lift your hand and say, that's me, I'm ready. I see a couple. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just lift it up real high where I can see. I see you all. So, Lord, we just pray, and I pray for each person, Lord, this morning that you would refresh them, that you would strengthen them, that you would fill them, God, with your Holy Spirit, that you would bless them abundantly. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, I want you to to stand to your feet with me.